What is up, guys? Welcome to the Talk It Over podcast. I'm Khalees Harris. And I'm Jelly Frigo. <laughs> this is our third episode. We got another coach. As the title says, we got Hall of Famer coach Jim Calhoun. Yeah, can we have a round of applause, please, Ooh. Ashley? He, uh, this past season, he recently stepped down as the head coach from University of St. Joseph, our school. And he gave us a rundown about, you know, where he started and where he ended. And we appreciate him. Yeah, so thank us. you for being on our podcast. Yeah, thank you. Hope you guys enjoy this one. Today we are here with... Coach Calhoun, the uh, hey. guy who's been around a couple days. <laughs> <laughs> so, Coach, can you just give us a little background um, about yourself? Well, you know, I was born in Boston, moved outside to a small town Braintree, heading towards Cape Cod, and uh, played three sports like a lot of guys at that time in high school, football, baseball, and basketball. Actually, I thought I was a better football player than basketball, but that's a story of another day. And But um, through my life, uh, when I started to grow up, I, I, I my dad had died when I was 15, big family, et cetera, et cetera, which kind of motivated me because he was a great athlete himself. And... Uh, to play basketball even more and spend a lot of time in the court shooting myself and that's kind of how i got a name and game <laughs> and from that i went on to college and after a short period of time i had to come home and help my mom and worked as a stone cutter for two years yeah. a little different background than most uh, guys that go right to college but anyways my people in my town uh, principal coach football basketball got me to go back to school and i instead of being at umass which i started at i was at aic up in springfield and, mm-hmm. That worked out great for me. I became a Division three All-American, a small college All-American. Tried out with the Celtics. Found out that uh, some of those guys are a little better than me. John Havlicek, Bill Russell, the great Bill Russell was yeah. the coach. And I got cut. He told me to come back. But instead, I, I went to grad school. And that's when I started to become a coach. And from that period, uh, getting my master's degree, I uh, worked in my master's degree. I uh, coached the freshman team at AIC and went on to high school for five years. And then on to Northeastern University for 14, and then uh, 14 years at yes, Northeastern, but 26 years at, uh, at at UConn, and then on to St. Joe's here for five years. Yeah. You got a full ride for basketball, and you said you could only have stayed there for three months. How was the transition to, you know, having to grow up so fast because you have to take care of your family? Well, transition is, is is a matter of what life is. There's nothing, whether it be in the middle of a game and I got to go from a, a zone press to playing man to man, or you got to go different things. And I'm not making it as simple as that because one's a game, one's life. But in life, it's a game. It's a game in the sense you got to react to all the things that happen. I had uh, terrific four sisters who were incredible. A young brother at that time, my dad died five years old. Now is a, a cardiologist at, 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 in Boston at Mass General. Uh, my sister's a cardiac nurse. Obviously, uh, we're very interested in heart disease because both my parents were taken uh, by heart disease. Thus, the Calhoun Cardiology Center at, uh, at UConn. Yeah. So, a lot, your life becomes in, in, involved in things. You know, it isn't always what happens to you. It's how you react to what happens to you. And I think that's the single thing I, I learned. That for me to say, well, woe is me. Life's not going great. You know, that wasn't going to accomplish anything. My dad would be so upset with me yeah. uh, if, if he ever saw me doing that, so I was going to allow myself to do that. So what I did, 
I, when I started working, I'd get up at six in the morning, go to and, uh, go to a, 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 a place to make gravestones and other monuments and, and things. And I started to realize that the only way I was going to not do that the rest of my life, freezing, <laughs> get up real early, lifting hundred pound markets every day, you know, uh, was to to do something with myself. And I read every day, ran, played in every semi-professional league you possibly imagine all over the northeast and. Um, that got me ready eventually to get back to college, and things worked out pretty well for me. What did the um, what influence did your sisters have on like your career that you have now? Well, my sisters were there. More than other thing, I can still remember when I was growing up. My dad had graduated from the Virtue Academy, was an engineer, and we were probably one of the few people to have a real nice TV back in the day. <laughs> and by the end of that period of time, though, uh, we didn't have it as much as we'd like to have, and. That's why I had to come back and work and help yeah. support my mom who got sick. Uh, and, and I think that my sisters, whether it be getting a tux for the prom, helped me. All the various things that they did, they were incredible. Mm -hmm. And as Simi said, that anybody who knocked about the fact I dropped a pass in the end zone, missed that foul shot down the stretch, or, or struck out, or didn't strike out people when I was pitching in baseball, all those things, you're not going to mess with the Calhoun girl. Yeah. <laughs> My sister would let you know if you went after there. They, they tell you what's up, yeah. So your defi your definition of grit is um, finding a way when there doesn't appear to be one. So what was your motivation while you were a stonecutter? Well, a stonecutter, you know, someone said, did you ever find out what you wanted? At that time, I had no idea. But I didn't want to do that. I played, I played, excuse me, I worked every day mm. with masterful real stone cutters and i mean like sandblasting which i did and chisels these guys could make magic out of rock mm -hmm. yet they were very bright people because they were all banged up i still remember that if i bang my arm they said don't do that you remember that when you're 50 or 60. <laughs> yeah because they had been in that business so long so right. and they, you know what they said to me you got to get out of here you got to get out of here i they love my company i love their company but i, I can't settle in because you can imagine what happens if you're a little bit upset yeah, I was an all-state basketball football player. Doing stone cutting. I'm, I'm cutting stone. Yeah. You know, and that's not where I wanted to be. So I did everything humanly possible to make myself be acceptable to a, a, another university or back to UMass. They made myself be stronger. I put on about 20 pounds of muscle. As lifting stone all day, you can do that. By the way. <laughs> right. And then lastly, learn from people. Really, really learn from people. And so by the time I got back to college a couple of years later, I put on 20 pounds and was muscle, and I played so much basketball against older guys that I had really developed into a much better player then than I probably was in high school. Yeah, that's awesome. I like that. So your career, your coaching career at North um, Eastern, you coached Coach Miller, who was your assistant coach at UConn and at USJ. Yep. He told me that one of the things that he will always remember that you taught him was win the day. Can you explain where that came from? Well, when you, you asked me a question, a good question before, what do you think about when you're cutting stone? What do you want to do? Yeah. Uh, well, the only thing I could do is control me. Mm -hmm. I couldn't control the other circumstances until my mom got better, mm -hmm. problems, until my sisters got a little bit older, my brother got older. Then I, then I wanted to make sure that that, that, that that I took care of me. The me part was, I like to read, but I really like to read. And because I wanted to make sure that I grew. I worked out every day. I did everything I could, find every game. I, my car and a couple other guys would find, would find runs. Mm -hmm. We'd run oh, in Brookline. We'd go into Roxbury, play against a lot of really good players in the community. We went other places to find games. All of it with the intent. 
and I didn't think long term at that point. If I am good every day, well, pretty by the end of the week, I'll be pretty good. Yeah. By the way, by the end of the month, I'll be real good. And by the end of the year, I've improved a lot. Yeah. I looked at it that way. I was stronger. Okay. I was, I was more ready to attack the world. It was more like progression. Like each month, you saw that yeah. you were growing and growing and growing. And the only way I could do it, the, the only way I could goof it up was was, was uh, to not continue to do that to, to make myself the the smartest player I could, the strongest player I could, and the best player I could. Yeah, I like that. I like that. I like that. Your first season at UConn, you were nine and nineteen, and then your fourth year, you guys had a twenty-nine and six record. So, what changed from that first year to that fourth year? As I always say, players, players, players. There's yeah. no excuse, and there's no substitute for really good players, chemistry, and, and, and having an idea or a dream. Our first year, nine nineteen. My captain, a kid named Jerry Bresling from Finland, really good player, and and, and Jerry says it's the greatest year of his life. Even though it was a very poor record, we got better. We yeah. were close with Georgetown and Coach Thompson and all the other great programs in the Big East. Big East was the best program in the mm-hmm. country. What we did, instead of having just a couple of players, we had a lot of really good players. And I think that's the big thing. We got our culture in, our system. By system, I mean simply there are way which we're going to be able to play at UConn. If you're going to play at UConn, you're going to have to bring it every day. And I, I think we, we, we got that. And then when you get really good players, it really starts to move. And we did. And we got really, really good. It isn't that the league changed, but we changed. Yeah. Since you're talking about players, were there any players that you wish you had an opportunity to coach that you wish you would have recruited for your team? You always going to miss out on players. I, I my, my kids always kid me because I had Kevin Durant, you know, at my house, and he committed. Yeah. And eventually, obviously, he went down to Texas. but uh, And I could think of a whole bunch of other guys like that. But, you know, yeah. a lot of guys would have loved to have – Ben Gordon and Mecca Ogafor, Richard Hamilton, all the great players that mm-hmm. I have coached. Uh, Kimber. And, uh, yeah. You know, when, when you have 30, you end up having 33 first and second round draft choices and uh, a whole bunch of guys who stayed in the league. Um, we got good players ourselves and develop. And the, the key is to find guys who want to be really good mm-hmm. and it committed the way you are. I, I just don't handle very well players who don't have a passion for what they do. That, that would be, to me, it would be a fight. So I don't need to have a fight with my players. I have to help my players develop. Yeah. In the Big East, you had a point six six five winning percentage with a 220 and 112 record. At, like, that's – I'm lost for words. Yeah, I don't know what to say about that. That's, like, awesome. Any- yeah, it was really good. I think the key thing is we had really good players. And once we got it going, you got to figure out how to win. It might have to be you give the ball up more, you set better screens, and don't worry that someone else is scoring out because you're the you had a lot of reasons why someone else is scoring yeah. and, and and how well we practice. If you don't have good people in practice competing every day, you're not going to be a great team. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, unlike a friend of mine, Alan Iris, and he used to say practice great thing. Like they, I talk about games, not practice. Well, yeah. for most of us. Practice makes perfect as, mm-hmm. as long as it's perfect practice. Yes. Okay. That's a good one. Dang, I've That's never heard one. that one before. That is a good one. You won your first national championship in 1999, um, and you led UConn to their first Final Four and national championship over Duke. So you played Coach K. We were really friends. You know, when Mike was at uh, uh, West Point and I was at Northeastern, we played each other five times. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it was three to two, me, thank God. Uh, <laughs> and he had good yeah. players. We had good players and had some real good battles. We we really developed a friendship. He had lost his dad young, 
going to Chicago, me in Boston area. So we, we, we became very good friends. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, but the battles were really tough. I mean, once again, it's like anything else. You always want to win your neighborhood battles. Yeah, rivals. You know, a lot of times I always say one of the great things about the Big East, guys came from Boston, Philly, Jersey, D.C., and it was an Eastern League, and everybody, you know, it's the old idea, like the old uh, uh, Cheers, which is an old, old sitcom, all right, uh, where everybody, is a song where everybody knows your name. Yeah. Well, everybody kind of had the great competition, so there's no doubt in my mind that some of the great competitions among coaches who became really good friends of mine, Tommy Izzone and I are very, very close, and Mike's and I are very close, Roy Williams, a whole bunch of guys that we went through the whole process together. Yeah. Well, so do you keep in touch with any former players that you had? And if when they're in CT, if they are in CT, do you like meet up with them? As much as I possibly can. Um, That's awesome. You, I've got Glendale here, obviously. Right. Yeah. Kemba, you said Kemba's coming, Kemba, playing golf. Kemba Walker. I, I talked to Mecca over for last night. He was a great player for us. Uh, uh, Jeremy Lamb is still playing. He's hurt. He's with the Pacers. And, you know, Andre Drummond, who was a young one down I ever had. I had 18 kids leave early. But only one freshman yeah. was Andre Drummond. He's probably the greatest rebounder I ever coached. Tremendous, tremendous talent. Great kid from Middletown, Connecticut. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I, I think that it's very important for you to, to, to uh, maintain a relationship with people who, honestly, did so much of my life, too. You know, we right. about the coaches' life. I've got a House in Hillhead. I, I've got a place in uh, Rhode Island. I got a nice place in Palmer where I live. My life very good because of my players. Players, I, yeah. I mm -hmm. think if you don't understand that, you're making a big, big mistake. Keeping the credit. It's important to, to acknowledge those who like impacted your life yeah. in a yeah, positive way. Uh, yeah. Because they taught me a life as I got older, and you could get very easily removed from today's society. You can make a mistake. You did that. Mm -hmm. Because you know what we're dealing with today's society. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well <laughs> said. Be, yeah. You know, and whether I text or email do things i thought i'd never do before it's part of uh, staying in touch with people hey are there some ills to it without question mm -hmm. but most important thing is that your players teach you because they come from a different place than you do mm -hmm. just like you come from a different place than they do and maybe in many times a different era so the idea that, that if you ever both have a common cause makes it very special yeah well it's giving a lot of credit to those players i like that in 2004, you uh, led the Huskies to another national championship. And then the year after, you were inducted into the Hall of Fame. You were, well, you're, you are one of the greatest coaches, in my opinion. Um, that fail of when they first told you that you're getting inducted, who'd you call? Who'd you tell? Who'd well, you... I was very emotional. Yeah, my, my, wife, my wife was, uh, you know, when I was in grad school, my wife was working, I was coaching, I was going to school, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. So it was very important that, that I obviously called her. And the most important thing was that when I was at AIC, next door at Springfield College, that's where the Hall of Fame was many, many when I first started. Yeah. So to walk over there when I was in college, see those giants, the greatest players in the world, um, and then know that you're being inducted, it's, very, it's, it's, it's beyond imagination how you feel. Because you feel that... Well, he finally recognized me. No, that's, that's not it. What it is, is he, all of us, there's a picture at the uh, Hall of Fame. I think I had 68 former players there from uh, Northeastern, Yukon, et cetera. That's and all say. those guys were really, really special. And, and we, we always said we got into the Hall of Fame. Mm -hmm.
I recently just um watched Ray Allen get inducted, so that was a good one to watch. He definitely deserved that. And I, and I was there when Ray got inducted. Ray, you were? I hope Kemba that will be there also. Wow, yeah, well, that was nice. <laughs> you won another t title in uh, 2011, and then you retired, came to USJ, and you started the program from scratch with a pl uh, someone that you coached, and you coached. He was an assistant coach. Yes, yes, yes. So, but did you call him up to like? Did was that yeah, your pick? Glenn Miller was a very, very talented coach, and he when he played for me at Northeastern, assisted me at at UConn. Then he got the UConn college job. Then he got the uh, Brown University job, and then he got the University of Pennsylvania Penn, job. Yeah. So I knew he was a very quality coach. When he came back and then coached me, and yeah. I, I wanted to get someone I knew, trusted, and, and understood the way I wanted the game to be played. Yeah. And so uh, I pulled over there once we got me, and he's done a great job, and certainly has, has, has helped take over the program, and was a great help for me when I was the head coach. Yeah. Do you think your coaching style changed from coaching the D1 players to the D3? Not really. In, in, in some ways, I, I think the motivation, most of the guys, that, almost all my guys at UConn were in scholarship. Scholarship and no scholarship. Those two hours of work we did every day, the demands on their time, the pressure put on them to be the best they can be, that doesn't change. I mean, if you're, as I said, if you're going to do something 25, 30 hours a week and you don't love it, you're going to have a tough time with me. <laughs> Ray Allen, who I'm very friendly with Ray still, but Ray said, Coach, you're a great coach, which I greatly appreciate him saying. But he said many times, you're an acquired taste. <laughs> By that, I mean you have to understand how you feel about it. And you can't ever understand why people wouldn't give it 101% every day. Yeah. Was starting the program from scratch difficult? It was difficult, but we had to get an identity, and I think that uh, Dr. Free has been incredibly um, smart, yeah. intelligent. She has a great field, how the men's basketball program in particular, and now the women's, uh, really, really helps the entire school. People come in here to see us, and they get to know us in a whole different way than just St. Joseph or West Hartford. What do you consider your playing style? Like, yeah, was it different from had, UConn in here? Like, like last three years, we're average almost 90 points a game. Right. Points in the board. We're always going to rebound very well because we work exceptionally hard. We defend very well. We'll probably spend in my 50 years of coaching. I don't think any team of mine has ever been out of the top 30, 40 nationally in defense. We always hold teams in the hopefully the high 30s. Mm -hmm. And uh, we work on anybody else. How do you know that? I don't. But my players believe that, and we play like that. You said you said practice how you play, and practice is important. What is a what do you, what are your practices usually look like? Well, uh, if you can't, if you if I could walk to your practice and watch how you drill and what you emphasize, I know exactly how you want to play. I mean, because you can't hide that. So if you're a fast break team, we probably spend twenty spend minutes on drills. Yeah. But we also spend a great deal of time uh, on 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 the, then putting that fast break into any other action we do. We spend a lot of time on rebounding drills, a lot of times on, uh, on particularly on defense. We really want to get our shell principles in and make sure that we understand how to play defense. And then through the whole practice, it's all done with 101% effort. And when you put that together, if you're a really good rebounding team, a good fast break team, uh, a good running team, a good pressing team, and you get a chance to beat people. 
as long as you do it 101 percent and know exactly what you're doing any of the players that you coach or you did a coach at usj do they resemble anyone from uconn or northeastern yeah, I'd say, uh, you know, it's just J.C. Martin is a little bit of a small Kimba. Yeah. Um, he doesn't have the rise or the size, but 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 he has some of the same similarities. The only difference was by the time Kimba got to the NBA, he was a good three-point shooter. Mm-hmm. J.C.'s got developed that. Um, Delshawn Jackson, to me, is probably one of the best pure shooters I've ever had. I mean, he's uh, our biggest rival, Alberta Magnus. Albertus. Two years ago, he had 36 there and 46 here. At home. Unreal. So, Unreal. Yeah, we, we, we're very fortunate. It's a very good place here. We've got some guys that are going to be good in the future. Yeah, I remember that game. That game was crazy. So how was it to compete against um, the greatest Hall of Fame coaches? I don't think there's any question that somebody lying to you. If they didn't say that, you don't get a little more excited. You know, my, my assistant just say you're really lousy against Central Connecticut, Southern, or whoever you play. Mm-hmm. But you love those Duke and Michigan State games. And, and like any other competitor, you always want to be matched up against the very best. And mm-hmm. I think that's how you want to compare yourself. You want to compare your teams. That's how you want to compare your players. You all want the big games. It doesn't mean that you can't learn a lot if you play full out against a team that's not quite as good as you. What team did you dislike playing because of the crowd? The crowds only it motivated me, and they really did. Me like, too. When, when we walked in, after a while, and we had won at one point uh, over a three-year period. I, I think our record was uh, 40, uh, 52, I think it was, and eight in three-year period in the Big East. Now, that Big East was, you know, my last year, last championship in 2011, we had 11 of the 14 teams go to the NCAA tournament, which mm-hmm. is crazy. The most ever. Yeah. So every game was a big game for us. But I, I, I just think I like going in and kind of look around and say, okay, we're here. We're here. We're bring it on. Yeah. And and, and and it was just more motivation. I mean, you respect them. You love, you care about them. You get kids on the court you really like on the other teams. But once it began, it's like a boxing match. You know, you put your hands down. It's three minutes. Go ahead. Sit down for a minute and get up and do it again. Yeah. And I, and I like that competition. I like the excitement. I, I, the, I would... I don't mind as much, but one of the good things happened here at St. Joe's, we started to become a team that everybody wanted to beat. And I know the last couple of years, we haven't lost a game in like, two years. I think we're 34 straight in our league. We haven't lost a game. And we go to the places the people who uh, get on us. That's great. Yeah. Especially Alberta. It's like having an applause at home. Yeah. <laughs> Coach Callum, thank you so much for this opportunity. Thank you for joining us on the podcast. And thank you for everyone for listening. My question, I really enjoyed it, guys. Thanks. Thank you.